Chapter 9 of Mary Annerley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elsie Selwyn. Mary Annerley by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. Chapter 9. Robin Coxcroft. Nothing ever was allowed to stop Mrs. Annerley from seeing to the bedrooms. She kept them airing for about three hours at this time of the sun-stitch, as she called all the doings of the sun upon the sky, and then there was pushing and probing and tossing and pulling and thumping and kneading of knuckles till the rib of every feather was aching, and then, like dough before the fire, every well-belabored tick was left to yeast itself a while. Winnie, the maid, was as strong as a post and wore them all out in bed-making caraway heard the beginning of this noise but none of it meddled at all with his comfort he lay back nicely in a happy fit of chair stretched his legs well upon a bench and nodded keeping slow time with the breaths of his pipe and drawing a vapory dream of ease he had fared many stony miles afoot that morning and feet legs and body were now less young than they used to be once upon a time looking up sleepily the captain had an idea of a pretty young face hanging over him and a soft voice saying it was me who did it all which was very good grammar in those days. Will you forgive me? But I could not help it, and you must have been sorry to shoot him. Shoot everybody who attempts to land, the weary man ordered drowsily. Maddie, once more, you are not to dust my pistols. I could not be happy without telling you the truth, the soft voice continued, because I told you such a dreadful story, and now, oh, here comes mother what has come over you this morning child you do the most extraordinary things and now you cannot let the captain rest go round and look for eggs this very moment you will want to play fine music next now captain i am at your service if you please unless you feel too sleepy mistress annerley i never felt more wide awake in all my life we at the service must snatch a wink whenever we can but with one eye open and it is not often that we see such charming sights the farmer's wife having set the beds to plump had stolen a look at the glass and put on her second best sunday cap in honour of a real officer and she looked very nice indeed especially when she received a compliment but she had seen too much of life to be disturbed thereby um captain carraway what way you have of getting on with simple people while you are laughing all the time at them it comes of the foreign war experience going on so long that in the end we all shall be foreigners but one place there is that you can never conquer nor bonaparte himself to my belief ah you mean flamborough flamborough yes it is a nest of cockatrices captain it is nothing of the sort it is the most honest place in the world a man may throw guinea on the crossroads in the night and have it back from doctor up and down any time within seven years you ought to know by this time what they are hard as it is to get among them i only know that they shut their mouths and the devil himself i beg your pardon ma'am old nick himself never could unscrew them you are right sir i know their manner well they are open as the sky with one another but close as the grave to all the world outside them and most of all to people of authority like you mistress annerley you have just hit it not a word can i get out of them the name of the king god bless him seems to have no weight among them and you cannot get at them sir by any dint of money or even by living in the midst of them the only way to do it is by kin of blood or marriage and this is how i come to know more about them than almost anybody else outside my master can scarcely win a word of them even kind as he is and well spoken and neither might i though my tongue was tenfold if it were not for joan coxcroft but being joan's cousin i am like one of themselves coxcroft coxcroft i have heard that name do they keep a public house there 
the lieutenant now was on the scent of duty and assumed his most knowing air the sole effect of which was to put everybody upon guard against him for this was a man of no subtlety but straightforward downright and ready to believe and his cleverest device was to seem to disbelieve the Coxcrofts keep no public house mrs annerley answered with a little flush of pride why she was half a niece to my own grandmother and never was beer in the family not that it would have been wrong if it was captain you are thinking of widow precious licensed to the cod with the hook in his gills i should have thought sir that you might have known a little more of your neighbours having fallen below the path of life by reason of bad bank tokens banking came up in her parts like dog madness as it might have done here if our farmers were the fools to handle their cash with gloves on and joan being robbed by the fault of her trustees the very best bankers in scarborough though robin never married her for it thank god still it was very sad and scarcely bears describing of and pulled them in the crock of this world's swing to a lower pitch than if they had robbed the folk that robbed and ruined them and robin so was driven to the fish again which he always had hankered after it must have been before you heard of this coast captain and before the long war was so hard on us that everybody about these parts was to double his bags by banking and no man was right to pocket his own guineas for fear of his own wife feeling them and bitterly such was paid out for their cowardice and swindling of their own bosoms i have heard of it often and it served them right master annerly knew where his money was safe ma'am neither captain robin coxcroft nor his wife was in any way to blame answered mrs annerly i have framed my mind to tell you about them and i will do it truly if i am not interrupted two hammers never yet drove a nail straight and i have a rule of silence when my betters wish to talk madam you remind me of my own wife she asked me a question and she will not let me answer that is the only way i know of getting on mistress carraway must understand you captain i was at the point of telling you how my cousin joan was married before her money went and when she was really good-looking i was quite a child and ran along the shore to see it it must have been in the high summer-time with the weather fit for bathing and the sea as smooth as a duck-pond and captain robin being well-to-do and established with everything except a wife and pleased with the pretty smile and quiet ways of joan for he had never heard of her money mind put his oar into the sea and rowed from flamborough all the way to philly brig with thirty-five fishermen after him for the flamborough people made a point of seeing one another through their troubles and robin was known for the handsomest man and the uttermost fisher of the landing with three boats of his own in a good berth and long sea lines and there at once they found my cousin joan with her trustees come overland four wagons and a cart and all of them and after they were married they burned seaweed having no fear in those days of invasions and a merry day they made of it and rode back by the moonshine for every one liked and respected captain coxcroft on account of his skill with the deep-sea lines and the openness of his hands when full a wonderful quiet and harmless man as the manner is of all great fishermen they had bacon for breakfast whenever they liked and a guinea to lend to anybody in distress then suddenly one morning when his hair was growing grey and his eyes getting weary of the night work so that he said his young robin must grow big enough to learn all the secrets of the fishes while his father took a spell in the blankets suddenly there came to them a shocking piece of news all his wife's bit of money and his own as well which he had been putting by from year to year was lost in a new-fangled bank supposed as faithful as the bible joan was very near crazed about it but captain coxcroft never heaved a sigh though they say it was nearly seven hundred guineas there are fish enough still in the sea he said and the lord has spared our children i will build a new boat and not think of feather beds captain carraway he did so and everybody knows what befell him 
The new boat, built with his own hands, was called the Mercy Robin, for his only son and daughter, little Mercy and poor Robin. The boat is there as bright as ever, scarlet within and white outside, but the name is painted off, because the little dears are in their grave. Two nicer children were never seen, clever and sprightly and good to learn. They never even took a common bird's nest, I have heard, but loved all the little things the Lord has made, as if with a foreknowledge of going early home to him. Their father came back very tired one morning, and went up the hill to his breakfast, and the children got into the boat and pushed off in imitation of their daddy, and came on to blow as it does down there without a single whiff of warning, and when Robin awoke for his midday meal, the bodies of his little ones were lying on the table, and from that very day Captain Coxcroft and his wife began to grow old very quickly. The boat was recovered without much damage, and in it he sits by the hour on dry land, whenever there is no one on the cliffs to see him with his hands upon his lap and his eyes upon the place where his dear little children used to sit, because he has always taken whatever fell upon him gently, and of course that makes it ever so much worse when he dwells upon things that come inside of him. "'Madam, you make me feel quite sorry for him,' the lieutenant exclaimed as she began to cry. "'If even one of my little ones was drowned, I declare to you I cannot tell what I should be like, and to lose them all at once, and as his own wife perhaps would say, because he was thinking of breakfast.' And when he had been robbed and the world all gone against him? Ma'am, it is a long time, thank God, since I heard so sad a tale. Now, you would not, Captain, I am sure you would not, said Mistress Annerley, getting up a smile, yet freshening his perception of a tear as well. You would never have the heart to destroy that poor old couple by striking the last prop from under them. By the will of the Lord they are broken down enough. They are quietly hobbling to their graves, and would you be the man to come and knock them on their heads at once? Mistress Annerly, have you ever heard that I am a brute and inhumane? Madam, I have no less than seven children, and I hope to have fourteen. I hope with all your heart you may, and you will deserve them all, for promising so very kindly not to shoot poor Robin Lythe. Robin Lythe? I never spoke of him, madam. He is outlawed, condemned, with a fine reward upon him. We shot at him today. We shall shoot at him again, and before very long we must hit him. Ma'am, it is my duty to the king, the constitution, the service I belong to, and the babes I have begotten. Blood money poisons all innocent mouths, sir, and breaks out for generations. And for it you will have to take three lives. Robins, the captains, and my dear old cousin Jones. Mistress Annerly, you deprive me of all satisfaction. It is just my luck when my duty was so plain, and would pay so well for doing of. Listen now, Captain, it is my opinion, and I am generally borne out by the end, that instead of a hundred pounds for killing Robin Live, you may get a thousand for preserving him alive. Do you know how he came upon this coast, and how he has won his extraordinary name? I have certainly heard rumors, scarcely any two alike, but I take no heed of them. My duty was to catch him, and it mattered not a straw to me who or what he was. But now I really must beg to know all about him, and what makes you think such things of him. Why should that excellent old couple hang upon him? And what can make him worth such a quantity of money? Honestly, I, of course, I mean honestly worth it, ma'am, without any cheating of his majesty. Captain Carraway, his hostess said, not without a little blush, as she thought of the king and his revenue. Cheating of his majesty is a thing we leave for others. But if you wish to hear the story of that young man, so far as known, which is not so even in Flamborough, you must please to come on Sunday, sir, for Sunday's the only day that I can spare for clacking, as the common people say. I must be off now. I have fifty things to see to, and on Sunday my master has his best things on and loves no better than to sit with his legs up and a long clay pipe lying on him down below his waist, or, to speak more correctly, where it used to be, as he might indeed almost say the very same to me, 
and then not to speak a word, but hear other folk tell stories, that might not have made such a dinner as himself. And as for dinner, sir, if you will do the honour to dine with them, that are no more than in the volunteers, a saddle of good mutton, fit for the bodyguards to ride upon, the men with the skins round them all turned up, will be ready just at one o'clock, if the parson lets us out. My dear madam, I shall scarcely care to look at any slice of victuals until one o'clock on Sunday, by reason of looking forward. After all, this was not such a gross exaggeration, Annerly Farm being famous for its cheer, whereas the poor lieutenant, at the best of times, had as much as he could do to make both ends meet, and his wife, though a wonderful manager, could give him no better than coarse bread, and almost coarser meat. "'And, sir, if your good lady would oblige us also—' "'No, madam, no,' he cried with vigorous decision, having found many festive occasions spoiled by excess of loving vigilance. "'We thank you most truly, but I must say no. She would jump at the chance, but a husband must consider. You may have heard it mentioned that the Lord is now considering about the production of an eighth little caraway.' "'Captain, I have not, or I should not so have spoken. But with all my heart I wish you joy.' I have pleasure, I assure you, in the prospect, Mistress Annerly. My friends make wry faces, but I blow them away. Tush, I say, tush, sir. At the rate we now are fighting and exhausting all British material, there cannot be too many, sir, of metal such as mine. What do you say to that, madam? Sir, so I believe it is the Lord's own truth, and true it is also that our country should do more to support the brave hearts that fight for it. Mrs. Annerly sighed, for she thought of her younger son, by his own perversity launched into the thankless peril of fighting England's battles. His death at any time might come home, if any kind person should take the trouble even to send news of it, or he might lie at the bottom of the sea unknown, even while they were talking. But Carraway buttoned up his coat and marched, after a pleasant and kind farewell. In all of his comforts, which need not have taken very long to count, in the course of hard service he had seen much grief and suffered plenty of bitterness, and he knew that it is not the part of a man to multiply any of his troubles but children. He went about his work, and he thought of all his comforts, which need not have taken very long to count, but he added to their score by not counting them, and by the self-same process diminished that of troubles, and thus, upon the whole, he deserved his Sunday dinner, and the tale of his hostess after it, not a word of which Mary was allowed to hear, for some subtle reason of her mother's. But the farmer heard it all, and kept interrupting so, when his noddings and the jockings of his pipe aloud, or perhaps one should say compelled him, that merely for the courtesy of saving common time, it is better now to set it down without them. Moreover, there are many things well worthy of production which she did not produce, for reasons which are now no hindrance. And the foremost of those reasons is that the lady did not know the things, the second, that she could not tell them clearly as a man might, and the third, and best of all, that if she could, she would not do so in which she certainly was quite right, for it would have become her very badly as the cousin of Joan Coxcroft, half removed and upon the mother's side, and therefore kindly received at Flamborough and admitted into the inner circle, and allowed to buy fish at wholesale prices if she had turned round upon all these benefits and described all the holes to be found in the place for the teaching of a revenue officer. Still, it must be clearly understood that the nature of the people was fishing, they never were known to encourage free trading, but did their very utmost to protect themselves, and if they had produced the very noblest free trader, born before the time of Mr. Cobden, neither the credit nor the blame was theirs. End of chapter 9